0: But it is great to be in the house of the Lord on a Christmas day. And when I think about hope, I can't help but tell you that it's really been the word that has dominated my thinking through this Christmas season, has been hope. You know, it's a funny thing because the loss of hope is devastating, isn't it? When when you just feel like there isn't hope for a situation you're in, it's, it's frustrating, it's it can even be agonizing, you know, to, to feel like you're powerless in those things. And and yet I, I was reminded not long ago, I was watching something and was reading a little bit about hope. And you know, while we're alive, there's always hope. God is, is not finished with us and he's not finished with what he's doing in our lives. And so for us to have hope is something that we can grasp onto. When I think about hope, I think about how the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ, giving us hope. What a blessed assurance for us to know that while we were dead, couldn't do anything, Christ was dying for the ungodly so that we might have hope. And this morning, with just a few minutes of time, I'd like to spend it just building out the word hope for you with four different thoughts surrounding it. If you think about hope, you can't start without thinking about H. Heaven came down. There's a verse in the scripture that we learn early in Awana here at Judson Baptist. It's John 3.16. I'll read it for you. It says, for God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he sent. And and the key word there is sent because it was more than a feeling or a sentiment. It was an action behind what God was doing. God loved the world and he wasn't content to leave us as we were. And so he sent Jesus. Heaven came down. There was an old song that that said, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross, the savior made me whole. My sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That's what it means when Christ came down. And Philippians really paints this picture for us. If you read Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how God was sending Christ, and Christ did not esteem his position higher than he should have. He didn't hold on to it. Instead, he took on the form of a man and came and dwelt among us, as we read even last night. The Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and and, and God didn't didn't uh, or Christ didn't hold his position with God be equal as he was as something that he needed to hold on to. He was willing to give that away and humble himself to death, even the death on a cross. God sent his son, and heaven coming down for us means everything. It's the start of hope, the beginning of hope. But hope would be lacking if it didn't have any power with it. The O of hope is that Christ came with overcoming power. We read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55. Where death is your sting? Where, or where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we were bound up in sin and that it leads to death. That there is nothing that we could do about it. We were enslaved to sin. It's it's a powerful picture for us to understand that. If we understand that we were enslaved to sin, it means we didn't have near the freedom we thought we did. And we always want to talk about our freedom. I had the freedom to do what I wanted to do. Not according to the scripture. According to the scripture, we were bound in our sin. Dead in our trespasses. And then we think about death. The scripture says it was leading to death and you know, there's nothing about death that is natural. The human body's amazing, isn't it? I've been called so many times to, to the end of the life for someone and, and that person will rally because the body fights for that. There's nothing natural about it. We learned that, that death entered the world through one man, Adam, our, our ancestor, and that it came because of the sin that he committed in the Garden of Eden and that we were excluded from that personal fellowship that we had with God, where God walked and talked with Adam and Eve. They were never allowed to go back and the curse was upon them and death entered the world. It affected everything, not just the span of our lives, but everything that we touch. Everything that we try to do is now harder. We're overcoming things all the time. Adam used to tend the garden and it was easy for him. It was a joy for him. And the scripture says that that changed, didn't it? Because now there was a thorn and a thistle there and he was having to overcome that. And and childbearing was going to be tough. It wasn't just going to be the joy that it should have been. It was going to be fraught with danger and labor would be hard. Death entered the world. Left to our own devices to face that enemy we cannot win. We're powerless. We're powerless. We have no ability to do anything about it. And yet, why is it that Paul can write to the Corinthian church, where death is your victory, where death is your sting? Is he living in a separated reality from what we live in? Certainly not. He would give his life for the cross. He would give his life for the message, the gospel. What's going on when he says that? Well, it has everything to do with the fact that the believer's mindset is changed because we're not just living for here and now, we're living for eternity. So the overcoming power of of the cross allows us to say, where death is your victory? You don't have any victory over us because the final say is not determined when we die. It goes on. In fact, Paul writing, the church in Ephesus writes this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, talking about Jesus. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What's the immeasurable greatness of his power? Meaning you can't measure it. It's unfathomable. You can't put it in a box. You can't stretch out a tape and see how big God is. You know, and we used to sing these, these little songs. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And the farthest our hands can go, we, we talk about he's so big, he's so strong. And yet it's immeasurable, it says, the power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Listen to this. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead. That's the overcoming power. And seating him at his right hands in the heaven, far above every ruler, authority, power, and dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but also the one to come. The same powers that work in us. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that sustains us. It's the power that lets us overcome. Jesus told us we were going to have trouble in this world, but he said, you don't have to fear the world. I overcame the world. It's an overcoming power. We're not helpless in this world. We're not bound up in our sin anymore as if it has all the power of over us. That's a lie of Satan that he loves to tell us all the time. You can't do anything about that. You're stuck. It'll always be this way. Not for those of us who are in Christ. Those of us who are in Christ have a power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work and alive in us to help us fight Satan and fight sin and overcome in this world. It's in us, given to us. We have this power, it's alive in us. The savior doesn't lack power. He sets us free from the law of sin and death so that we can live the life that we were meant to live in relationship with God the Father. Heaven came down with overcoming power. Maybe the greatest thing that it gave us is peace. When you read Romans chapter five, verse one, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, people that are living in peacetime don't appreciate it. They don't appreciate it at all. It's only when the, the hostilities end that you begin to appreciate it. This week I was looking back at some old pictures from the 1940s, and maybe some of you remember seeing these, or maybe some of you experienced it it's, If you remember, there were a couple of days that happened in 1945 that that really caused America to celebrate. It was the end of hostilities in Europe and the end of hostilities in Asia. If you look back at, at New York City, what's going on? Everyone's out in the street. Why were they celebrating peace? For four years, the world had been at war, according to Americans, longer for those who had been in Europe and other places. But America had been engaged. They had sent their sons off to fight. And many times, I mean, I think about people who got married and then went and fought, and hey, we'll see you in four years. That's a great way to come back home, isn't it? My, you've changed. Yeah, right? Because the first four years of our marriage, I was somewhere else, doing something else. Those people appreciated the end of the hostilities. When Romans says that we have peace with God, it's an amazing statement for us to to just soak in for a moment because it it gives us a, a real picture and understanding of what was going on. We were at enmity with God. We were enemies of God, separated by our sin and Christ Jesus coming to die in our place. We've been justified by our faith that we've placed in him and that ought to make us appreciate the peace that we have with God. It is a peace that passes all understanding, but, but that peace that's given to us through Christ Jesus our Lord changed everything. No longer are we at war with the Lord. No longer are we under his wrath. Now we are his friends. There's an end to the hostilities, the conflict that over, and it brings us joy and peace because of what Christ has done. Heaven came down with overcoming power to bring us peace, and the reward of that is eternity in heaven. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says this, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's an important statement there, so that you may know that you have. Why would he say it's important that you know? Well, it's only important that you know it because so many of us have doubted it. So many of us have wondered, does God really love me? I wanna take you back to the very first verse that that we looked at. God so loved the world, you're part of the world, I'm part of the world, it means he loves you. Say it with me, God loves me, say it. God loves me. Say it like you mean it. God loves me. Isn't that good to know? Isn't that good to know? And and he doesn't want you to be confused about that. And so John's writing to a group of believers who were obviously a little bit confused about it. They wondered, could God really love us? Could it be that God really loves us? Well, how could we know? God demonstrated it by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. God loved us so much that he sent Christ to die in our place. And John writes it this way, that when, we were, when, when he writes these things that we who believe in the name of God would know that we have eternal life. I had a professor who was really fond of saying, this is not a hope so kind of thing. It's not a think so kind of thing. It's a no so kind of thing. Now, here's, this is why it's important. If you're hoping that you're saved this morning, I have questions about whether you're saved. Because there's a resting assurance in the work of Christ on the cross and him justifying us freely by his grace. And if you're just hoping that you're saved today, I want you to know that you can be saved. If you think you might be saved, I want you to have the assurance that you're saved. Because we are to know that we have eternal life. When I was a, a young man and we would go to church camp, we would come back from church camp and we would sing, for all of you who are you know, under 30, you don't remember when we didn't just sing out of the hymnal, you know? But there were, this one night a year, we got to sing these crazy songs. And most of them didn't make a lot of sense, honestly. Uh, anybody remember, I am a Pizza Hut, a Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken, anybody? Yeah, you remember it, come on. Next week, Kirk, we're bringing it back. Uh, I have no idea what it means and why it's important for us, but there was a song that we used to sing, and, and we would start it really slow, and you would sing it a bunch and, until you couldn't keep up with it anymore. And I'm not going to try to really sing it for you today, but I'll kind of say it for you. It's it said, if you know it, maybe you could sing along. I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N. Now let's stop for a second. That just spelled Christian for some of y'all, all right? C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N. And I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. I am a C. I am a C. Come on, join in. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N and I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. I'm not gonna go any faster because I don't want us to be confused this morning with what's going on. But why is that song important? To know that I'm a Christian is more than just a feeling. It's more than a hope so kind of thing. It's more than a think so kind of thing. It's something that changes the entire trajectory of my life because now I know I'm walking towards a destination. The destination is eternity. See, a lot of people believe that when we die, there's nothing on the other side. But we know that when we die, life just begins. For to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ and see all that we have been promised with our eyes, our faith to be made sight. So when the scripture tells us that we have this hope, we can't think about it without thinking about the eternity that awaits for us. We know that we are marching towards a destination. We're not aimlessly wandering around, trying to accumulate stuff. By the way, I hope you got some things you like. Y'all look very nice this morning. That's important. It's good. It's good but we're going somewhere. You know, if you're going somewhere, you prepare for it, right? You're gonna take a trip, go visit some friends. You make a little list. Here are the things I need to put in the suitcase with me. It's no different for us. For those of us who are going to eternity, we need some things in the suitcase, right? We've already got the ticket. Jesus punched the ticket for us. We've been given the ticket but you need some things in the suitcase. You need a a relationship that's vibrant with Christ. I don't wanna get to heaven and and be trying to make up for lost time. I wanna go with a head start. So we spend time in the word, we spend time praying, we spend time fellowshipping around the word, we spend time worshiping the Lord. We put some of those things, we put some people relationally in our suitcase. I'm so grateful that somebody told me about Jesus. I'm so grateful that somebody wanted me to know Christ. I'm so grateful that somebody loved these six that were baptized enough this morning so that they shared Christ with them. Aren't you grateful for that? And we can take that with us. But our destination is there and this isn't our home. We need to be reminded of that. Of all the things you're building, all the things you're accumulating, all the experiences you're trying to give your family, Our good friend David Nelms says it like this. It's all gonna burn. Every bit of it. It won't last. But the praise of God the Father, the worship of Christ the Son, the fellowship that we have with the Spirit, the communion of the saints goes on forever. It goes with us. And so if we have that hope, if we understand that Christ came down, heaven came down. There's an overcoming power that helps us in these moments. There's a peace with God that we have that we can just thank Him for and be excited about. And there's eternity waiting as our destination in heaven. That gives us some assurance, doesn't it? That our hope is built on something real. Our hope is built on the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. That's all. It's not built on what we can do or what we could bring. It's all on the finished work of Christ. Can I ask you a question today? Do you know? Has there ever been a time in your life where you know that God saved you from your sins and you placed your faith in Christ? Maybe today watching these six be baptized, you've realized that, well, I don't know. Or I thought I knew. Or I want to know. Why not today give your life to Christ? In just a moment, we're going to bow and pray. And right after that, we're going to sing a song of invitation and response. And I'm going to give you a chance to give your life to Christ today. What a great day to give your life to Christ. Christmas Day, you'll never forget it. It'll always be special. And it'll always be special for us who are gathered here today. Would you bow with me? Maybe today you're one of those who says, Well, I hope that I'm saved, but I don't really know. John tells us that God wants us to know. Has there really ever been a time in your life where you repented of your sins and gave your life to Christ? If not, why not now? Would you just confess to the Lord that you're a sinner? Just do it privately. Maybe you just wanna repeat after me. Pray a prayer like this. You can do it right there where you're sitting. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I thank you for taking my place on the cross. I believe that you're the Lord and I give you my life. You're in charge. Save me today. Lord, I believe that not only you died on the cross, but they put you in the tomb and you rose from the dead. Thank you for the overcoming power. Thank you for saving me. Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved it's a fact and if today the first time you've ever done that in just a moment as we sing I'm going to invite you to do something bold it'll feel maybe a little strange but that's okay we want you just to step out and come take me by the hand and and just tell me that you say why do I need to do that pastor well Jesus said that if you confess me before men I'll confess you before my father who's in heaven I want to be able to pray with you, encourage you, and get you with someone that can encourage you this morning. Maybe as a believer this morning, it's just time to rest in the love and the peace that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank him for the hope this morning. Father, we come before you and praise your name. Jesus, we lift up your name as the name above all names, the only name by which we're saved. And we pray for those who are far from you that you would draw them to salvation this morning. And Father, in our lives, would you let hope arise? Would you let our joy be evident to all? And Lord, we just want this season to be marked by the hope that we have in you. We look forward to that day where you're going to call us home and we'll live with you eternally. Lord, we pray for your return. We ask for your return. As we await it, Lord, may we be faithful to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray.